Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brumley, and I've got a little bit of a different show for you today as I have no guest. So I would like to dive into some of the bigger marketing and social media news that has been dropping over the last few weeks. Let's talk about how those trends are evolving and how you can possibly use them to update your upcoming business plans or maybe your evolving business plans. But speaking of evolution, That is happening right as we speak when I talk about the attention economy. And now the attention economy can essentially, it's it's kind of a fancy word for influencer marketing. And I say that because influencer marketing has always been a thing, has always been around. We've always sort of looked to celebrities and politicians over the course of human history in order to sort of guide what we should be doing in ethical and moral ways and how we live our life and how we, you know, practice business and all of that good stuff. Um, But more recently, influencers are more of the Instagram, like beauty influencer type. But that has since, that has been changing a little bit over the last couple of years. It's been evolving as these new platforms have started to come out. And one of the bigger things, especially with Instagram, is is let's sort of talk about how that has been evolving. So the first one I want to bring up is Instagram earlier this week was caught removing likes from photos. And I don't want to say that they were removing them as in you didn't earn those likes. And so the way this story story is sort of set up is that Instagram as a whole is a behemoth of a social media platform. And but it's also the ripple effects of it being a behemoth of a social media platform is now users are there there are just so many users that are on that platform that they've had to develop a feed, an algorithmic based feed. So your your timeline isn't a true, you know, that this post was, you know, posted five minutes ago, then the next one was posted seven minutes ago, and so on and so forth. It is a feed based off of previous posts that you have interacted with. And so every time you log in on the platform, it is showing you what it thinks you will like and what you will engage with. Now, because they prioritize that feed for its users, it also leaves people on the flip side where they're trying to post more because that's what Instagram wants wants users to do is they want them to post more. But when a photo or a video doesn't perform well, then it is deprioritized in the feed. And what they have noticed is that users have started to post less because they're getting less engagement with their material uh, that they're posting. And so what Instagram is kind of experimenting with is that they're going to remove the likes being visible. So you can still like a photo and the end user will still see that you've liked it, but other people won't be able to look at that photo and see all of the different likes that have come through. This, in theory, will lead to users to have less of a fear when it comes to posting, less of, um, I, I guess, trying to schedule their posts as well. There was a story that the reason that Instagram w- was starting to do this and starting to experiment with removing likes is that they had reports of users in you know other countries, like foreign exchange students, or uh, not necessarily foreign exchange students based in the U.S., but it students 
organizations that were based in the U.S. have built up their platforms with a U.S. audience that have since moved overseas. Maybe they're going to school or maybe they have some kind of an internship or, you know, study abroad program. But there was this one girl in particular that was set in UK time and she would set her alarm to wake up at 4 a.m. in order to post to Instagram so that she could potentially receive the maximum amount of engagement on her post. Now, that just sounds absolutely insane to me. But if you're in that business of, you know, being an influencer and, you know, you're in the business of getting the most eyeballs on your content as possible, which we all kind of are, then that might be a good investment for you to wake up early in the morning in order to post that photo so that it's, you know, optimal for US based time. But at the same, in, in the same vein, it's just, it's, it's very, I would say, it's a big core issue at the root of Instagram. And so I bring up that topic just so I can jump into a couple of these other platforms that have come in and made uh, sort of giving Instagram a run for its money. Instagram is still kind of the king on the block when it comes to social media platforms, though they have peaked, in my opinion, because these other platforms like a clubhouse is growing and it's still invite only. And this is a clubhouse, if you haven't heard, is an audio first platform that thrives on live users. It's not necessarily my forte yet, only because the way that the app works, it's an iOS based app. And for those of you who haven't explored the platform yet, it's essentially a, a, an, an app where you can go to and you can see all of these different live talks going on at once. And you follow group topics similar to how you would follow group pages of accounts that you would like. So you can follow topics and you can also follow people. And anytime there's a topic going on and there's people that you follow that are in that room, you can go into that room, that clubhouse, and you can listen in on what they're discussing. It's it's one of those platforms that you're not supposed to record anything. I know there has been some recording that has gone on and then posted to other platforms, but it's essentially in an environment where users are being encouraged to speak their mind freely. So it's an algorithm-free platform where users can just show up, they can drop in and they can listen on the conversation at hand and then they can move on to another room that's going off at the time at at the same time or they can schedule you know to to go and listen to another chat that's going on later on in the day or maybe later on in the week. It's it really Clubhouse really thrives in that environment where you have to listen to it live. Now because of that it's not necessarily my forte yet. I I am of the opinion I am a podcaster. You are listening to this podcast on demand. That's how I like to digest my content just because I want to make sure that it's worth my time. And the majority of the people that I follow on are, are, you know, people that I have followed on other social media platforms. So I have no doubt that they're out there making quality content. I just, I, I think that Clubhouse is still in that early stage of, of, you know, figuring it out and, and figuring out what works for the majority of their users. I definitely see a lot of potential with that platform. It's just not something that I'm going to jump into and devote a lot of attention to it yet. But there are people out there who are, and, and that is sort of a live audience. Um, the next one on this list is, is still short form video. You know, TikTok obviously is a 
monster. They've had a strong quarter. Snapchat, which is a, a, a social media platform that I sort of counted out years ago, especially after Instagram sort of copied them and, and took the stories feature. Um, but Snapchat posted incredible growth in the fourth quarter, which, I mean, most social media platforms did post incredible growth because of the holiday shopping season. But it was the fastest growth for that company since they went public in 2017. So that is really good news for all of the Snapchat Snapchat lovers out there. And their user base is also growing, especially among younger demographics. Usually the way that social media platforms grow is the younger demographic takes over and then the older demographics start to sort of, you know, find their way in, sort of wiggle their way in. And then once like your grandparents start to hit the platform, that's when you kind of know that the platform's a little over. Uh, so but Snapchat has survived, you know, the the Instagram copying them, they have survived um, the, the going public with their public IPO in 2017. And they have continued that growth in both monetary and with users. Instagram, just a little footnote, they have not posted their growth numbers in years. So it's highly suspected that Instagram hasn't seen much growth and that these other platforms like a Clubhouse, like a TikTok, like a Snapchat have really started to take over and, and seize up that market share. Another one as far as short form video is concerned is YouTube. YouTube is dominant in the video game, especially for long form video content. But they also have recently launched YouTube Shorts, which is no longer than a minute. So this is obviously YouTube is trying to compete with TikTok and their just incredible growth rate that they have seen. So YouTube has started prioritizing what's called YouTube Shorts. So if you open up your app, the majority of people now will see their normal video feed and then they'll also see that vertical line of short form videos that as long as it's not over a minute long, your video can appear there and it has seen some incredible numbers. There there are a couple accounts that I've been following that have strictly focused on YouTube short videos. And I'll link to those in the show notes just so you can get an idea of what kind of content is working well on that platform. But what I've seen so far, it's very much uh, TikTok style content where it's short, it's to the point, and users can learn about a topic in you know just a short amount of time, get right cut right to the chase. And that is, I think it just... It, with short form video in general, it's just overtaking all of these different platforms. So expect to see more growth from TikTok side of things, from Snapchat side of things. And then YouTube Shorts is really, really interesting. The only one that's sort of fallen flat in in the short form video area is Instagram. Their IGTV is arguably one of the worst experiences when watching video. Reels is just a TikTok clone, but there's no incentive to actually create real directly into the platform. So I, I, what you're seeing with a lot of Instagram content is that you're just seeing it being repurposed from TikTok and YouTube shorts and probably Snapchat as well. So Instagram short form video isn't really working out so hot, but these other platforms are definitely taking advantage. It's still the wave. It's still in the future. It still should be a big part of your marketing plans. And the way that I use it in a lot of my different marketing initiatives is that I use the short form video to 
to point people to give people a little bit of taste of what they will uh, of a certain topic and to wrap up that topic within that short form video. But if the user wants to hear more about that topic and go uh, go a little bit more in depth, then I direct them to a longer piece of content, what I like to call the pillar content, if you've been listening to the show for a while. So with pillar content, you can direct those users, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on TikTok or even Snapchat, that you can direct those users to the longer form video. And that sort of gets back to that attention economy. Now, with another app that is brand new, there's still like invite only beta access approval still needed is a new app called Dispo. And Dispo is created by David Dobrik, who is the creator of Dispo. He is a Vine fame of YouTube fame. And he is one of those people that is when he creates something, people pay attention to it, especially in the attention economy era. And so he has created a new app called Dispo, which is essentially an Instagram competitor. And what happens with this platform is that you will snap some pictures. They they call it they 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 want you to live in the moment. And Dispo will allow you to snap pictures and then you can't see what those photos look like until the very next day. So they're trying to recreate the feeling of getting a dis- disposable camera and snapping photos and not knowing if the photo is going to be good or not, and then putting your phone away and then checking the next day on if the photos actually turned out to to look good or not. Apparently, the way the app works, because I've I've downloaded the app, I've applied for it, but I haven't gotten access into it yet. But from other creators that I've seen, they have taken, um, they, they, they love the aspect of it because they can take the photos with the app. And then the next day, it creates that level of excitement that first thing in the morning at 9am, I believe is when they publish, when Dispo publishes all of the photos is that's when you'll be able to check out to see if your photos are worth keeping in your feed or just you're just going to ditch them all together. So I would I would be on the lookout for that app and ask for early access if that interests you. But sort of getting back to the original topic is why do I bring all of this news up and why is it important? And the apps, new and old, are focusing on two big things, short form, authentic content, or live in the moment. And more and more folks, I think, are becoming aware of sort of the poison that social media can be especially after last year, especially on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you know, the, the, the term fake news was essentially created because of those platforms. But with these newer platforms coming out with a clubhouse, with a TikTok, with Dispo, they, they seem to be more focused on they want you to laugh, they want you to learn, they want you to live in the moment. And that seems much more appealing to younger audiences who see the mistakes that their parents have made on older social media platforms. So hopefully this attention economy evolving means more platforms taking steps towards a more meaningful experience versus the the Zuckerberg-led efforts that are just so damn divisive. So I, I don't know if any of you have actually spent some time on any of these other platforms. TikTok far and away is my favorite platform because it goes back to to what I just said. I either laugh or I learn every time I'm on the platform. And so 
from a business perspective, there are definitely different ways that you can use that platform and it is evolving. It is getting older. And so for me, out of all of those big apps that I just mentioned, it's still obviously the jury is out on, on Dispo because it doesn't have mass adoption yet. They're only still in beta phase. And, but that's sort of by design because if you look at the growth of TikTok and the popularity, or not TikTok, uh, but the growth of Clubhouse, if we go back to that example, that's one of those examples that they have started off with just invite only access. And that if you remember back in the day, that's how Facebook got started up as well. Facebook got started off as just a college, you had to have a college email in order to get onto the Facebook platform. And so they create that level of mystery, that level of desire, that, you know, that feeling of FOMO that you want in, you want to see what's going on. And then once you actually get into the platform, then that's where the, the real magic starts to happen. We're starting to see a a little bit of that magic come about with Clubhouse, maybe Dispo will be next, but TikTok by far is is my favorite platform out of all of these different social media experiences. And while I don't know the business use case yet outside of providing educational content, which that's, you know, that that that's the business that I'm in is providing educational content. I don't know how that transfers into a quote unquote ROI for a lot of businesses and a lot of businesses have to have that aspect in mind before they even decide to jump into a new platform. So just keep that in mind. But the point with a lot of these, a lot of these different platforms is that the attention economy is evolving. And this is something that you have to sort of weigh the pros and cons as these new platforms continue to come out. It is a marketer's job to know what these platforms are and the benefits that they could potentially provide. And then it's also a marketer's job to know, should I invest more time in these platforms, especially as they come out of the gate? Because as they come out of the gate, that is where you have the real opportunity to take advantage of the growth opportunities that are there. And because the reason that these platforms exist is that they have a lot of users, but they don't have a lot of creators. And so if you can hop on one of these newer platforms and you can experience and you can start really just diving in and start creating, then you have the opportunity to be a big fish in a small barrel where there's a lot of users that are on the platform and they need content. And these platforms need you to be creating that content. So you just have to kind of figure out where that makes sense for your business and how you can potentially evolve that into something where you don't want to think about these platforms as as something that you're going to jump into and you're just going to start selling immediately. It's about grabbing that attention and what do you have that is valuable to say that your potential audience would like and that they would follow you and they would continue to want to hear from you as far as your content is concerned and then possibly follow you on these other different platforms. So just keep that in mind as you're building out your marketing, as you're building out your messages of what platforms that you want to put more energy into and what platforms that you kind of want to stay away from. I think you kind of know which platforms that I'm, you know, doubling down on and that is absolutely LinkedIn, that is absolutely uh TikTok, those are my big platforms. I still have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. I still check Instagram occasionally. I just don't find myself being inspired by it at all. Uh, Facebook is just, uh, it's just a thing that I have. I I have no, I find no value in using Facebook as the platform just because, uh, well, I take that back. Let me back up for a second because the only value that I do find with Facebook is Facebook groups. 
I do particularly love a couple of the groups that I'm a part of. And then also events. It does make it a lot easier to have, you know, somebody throw an event and everybody just gets the invite and all the messaging is shared in one private place or public place, depending on how you have your events set up. Um, but events and groups, if it wasn't for those two things, I would have deleted my Facebook account years ago. And Instagram is well on its way to becoming that. Um, but TikTok, LinkedIn, um, Clubhouse, I'm keeping my eye on. And then also Dispo. It makes me a little excited to, to use Dispo. So I, I think you're, I'm sort of experiencing that little bit of FOMO when it comes to that platform. So we'll see once I actually get access to it, um, how that user experience goes. But if you're looking to to dive into any of these different platforms, just just keep that in mind that you're probably not going to see a lot of ROI initially, but it's all about going where going fishing where the fish are. And it looks like, especially for the the business audience in mind, that you still want to be focusing a lot on LinkedIn. You maybe want to dip your toes into the clubhouse waters and then also experiment with TikTok because the growth there and the ability to go viral is so much greater on TikTok than it is on Instagram any other platform. So just keep that in mind. All right, let's go into a couple other stories worth noting. Now, there was a new article that was released by Transport Topics. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, then you know that I posted about this already. But Google penalties are coming in May. So poorly designed websites are going to be hit with lower search rankings. And this comes from Transport Topics. And this is something that you should have, you should have already done. Your website is, it should be mobile responsive, but Google is finally saying that it's going to be essential for your website to be mobile responsive. And and what that means is that, or essentially what that means is that if somebody goes to your, your website, which the majority of searches now are conducted on our phones and the majority of your visitors, you're likely seeing more than 60% of all traffic that comes to your site is done through a mobile device. So if your site is not mobile friendly at the very least or mobile responsive at the very least, you are already behind and you need to start making some changes. So with keeping that in mind, it's fairly affordable, fairly easy to get your site mobile responsive. Now, with some of the more uh, tech integrations that a lot of businesses have, you likely won't be able to to have those being a mobile responsive, a mobile friendly environment. But a lot of those different tech integrations are done on what's called a subdomain, uh, or, or it's not done on the main website platform. So you don't necessarily have to worry about making the mobile adjustments for the tech side of things. But for your website content, you absolutely have to make sure that you have a mobile first experience or not a mobile first experience, but a mobile responsive, mobile friendly experience. And the way the easiest way that you can do this is seriously pick up your phone and go to your website and go through each of your main pages on your site. Are there any buttons that are too wide for the page? Are they easily clickable? That's one thing that that Google Google will penalize you for is that if you have certain CTA buttons on your site, such as um, request a quote, uh, follow us on social media, things like that, if those buttons are bigger than the width of the page where a user has to scroll horizontally, then that you're going to be dinged for 
that. Um, that's not a super high priority item, but these are just things that you want to be looking out for whenever you're you're searching if your site is mobile friendly or not. Um, mobile friendly can mean different things to different people and different businesses, but you just want to make sure that the you know that the text is a good size that somebody is reading on their phone. It might look huge on your website or maybe even just like a simple Word document, but on a mobile website, you want to make sure that the font is bigger than normal or bigger than you normally would put into, uh, say, a normal quote unquote document. So as long as you have those key aspects, then you should be good. And as long as you don't have a lot of pop-ups too, that was another thing that was mentioned in this article is don't have a ton of pop-ups, which nobody likes pop-ups. I know that they work especially for like email signups or, you know, get this coupon and things like that. Uh, But outside of those two things, you want to make sure that those are mobile friendly as well and that you don't have too many of them. Otherwise, Google is going to ding in your search results and it's going to take a long time in order to get that ranking back for a lot of your different keywords. Maybe you're you're ranking well already for a lot of these keywords, but you're going to be hit with lower search rankings if you don't have a mobile friendly website by May. Now, a side note, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that obviously my company, Digital Dispatch, can help you in this regard if you're looking to get your site mobile ready in time before that that big change is coming in May. Uh, but after that, we can obviously help you as well because some of these, you know, it, there's no way to tell, uh, you know, especially through a podcast if every single website would uh, be made mobile friendly very fast and before uh, that May update comes. But at the very least, you can have some of your core pages ready for that big update. So if you do get hit, you won't be hit for long and you won't be hit too hard. Now, another important update that Google is coming out with is that third-party cookies are going away. So we've seen this with overseas, with the European GDPR privacy settings. We've also seen it out in California with the California Privacy Act. More states are starting to take up privacy, especially after the election, especially after everything that's happened on social media over the last year. So privacy is obviously a big concern for a lot of different people, and it's becoming becoming more of a news topic at the front of uh, the news cycle, which is good, which is a really good thing. But for a lot of marketers, especially the ones in the ad tech side, so if you've ever bought some advertising or you've ever hired an advertising agency to handle a lot of your ads and you don't have something like a Google Analytics installed, uh, then that are those are the companies that are going to be hit the hardest, the ones that don't have that first-party data. Now, Google is going to be fine because they have access to first-party data via their Google Analytics. So that's in, in other companies like HubSpot with their analytics tracking, that's first-party analytics tracking. Now, ad tech platforms like uh, Taboola or Outbrain or some of these other, you know, just... I don't want to say like kind of scummy, but they, you know, they, they have that reputation for a reason. But on most news sites, it is the, the ad tech that they use is from Taboola, is from a company like Outbrain. And those are those like diet pills and, um, exercise ads and prescription ads and, uh, celebrities with no makeup, like that kind of ad tech that shows up at the bottom of an article, usually on a news site. Those are the companies that are going to be hit the 
hardest by Google removing these third-party cookies. But this is actually, I think, great news for a lot of internet users. One, because you get control of your you get control of your internet data at least back a little bit uh, from some of these other. You know, it's just a fire sale that's going on with a lot of our data being sold off from one company to another. Um, but what I think that this move is going to do is it's going to make a lot of the strong marketers they're going to rise to the top because strong marketers, you already know what works well on the web and what doesn't. If you've been participating in something that's a little bit more on the shady sides, such as, you know, like lead generation tools and things that are going to send you 200 leads in a day and they don't even care, the tool doesn't even care what kind of lead they're sending you. They're just sending you an arbitrary number and then you have to rely on yourself in order to close those leads. Who even knows if those leads are even good? or not. But that is sort of the the scummier tactics that some quote unquote marketers will use. And I get it. You got to experiment. I've done it in the past too. Um, But this particular news with Google removing third party cookies, I think is only going to help the marketers who know what works best. And a lot of that traffic that comes from those different ad tech vendors, especially on a lot of different reporting is for, you know, traffic and attribution on what those ads are selling well or not selling well. Some of that traffic is questionable at best. I think I read an e-marketer study recently that said more than 40% of all clicks on ads are bot related. So the traffic that's coming through those ads aren't, isn't even real. And what you're also seeing too, is that if you've done any kind of online advertising, if you have put an ad out there, you data will show that if you have ads that are running, users will see the ad. And then instead of clicking on it, they'll go to Google and they will search for that product, that company, that maybe that white paper that you're advertising, things like that. They will search for it on Google and click through there instead of clicking on the ad because they're afraid of, you know, privacy reasons. They don't want to uh, maybe even cost the cost the company money by clicking through. Uh, th- there's a lot of different reasons and we don't really know for sure of, of why that is the case. But anytime you place ads on the internet, you will see your in- organic search increase because of the likelihood that users are seeing your ad and instead of clicking on it, they're going to go to Google instead and take that safe pathway to your website, to your brand, instead of clicking on that ad itself. So what happens in your attribution reporting? What happens in your traffic reporting? Then you look at those numbers and you say, wow, we have all the all of these leads coming in through organic search. We don't need to advertise anymore. We just need to advertise on Google. We need to advertise, you know, with the Google AdWords. And that's not necessarily the case. So the, the short answer of the story is that all of your different marketing tactics still matter. Not the scummy ones, but the the, the good ones that, that you're doing in good faith, uh, the, you know, making great content, making great educational content. As long as you focus on those two big aspects, then your content is going to have a shelf life a hell of a lot longer than somebody who focuses on, you know, a lead gen tool that's going to send you 200 leads and you don't even know if the leads are worth a damn. So knowing all of that, Google is making these changes for the betterment of society, but they're also going to benefit in the end game because they're still they control the first party data. So that that business may look good. Those business moves may look good 
it's terrible for some of these other companies, like in the ad tech world, but in the overall sort of privacy world, uh, it is a little bit better that we're starting to get a little bit more control over our data. We just have to sort of hope that Google makes a lot of these changes a little bit more in a public environment and also with the public interest in mind uh, to be determined on the outcome of those decisions. But it's still a situation where the good marketers are going to rise to the top and the bad marketers who are relying on phony traffic, phony leads, uh, arbitrary numbers that don't mean anything. Uh, th- those are the ones that are going to fall to the wayside But strong marketers like the ones listening to this podcast are just going to continue to rise to the top. So just keep that in mind as you start billing out or as you start planning your marketing is that some of that data is going to change in the future, especially if you don't have a mobile-friendly website. All right, next up on the stories that I wanted to talk about is LinkedIn is adding an option similar to Upwork and Fiverr for the freelancers on their platform. It's going to be dubbed Marketplaces. It isn't officially announced yet, but there's been a gentleman that actually had to post about a new job opening and they called it Marketplaces in the job opening. And uh, this gentleman works closely with LinkedIn. So this is the the theory of behind this platform of, of, of what they're going to offer is that it's going to be a competitor to Fiverr and Upwork. And if you're not familiar with either of those two platforms, those two platforms are essentially a way for freelancers and you know, marketers, videographers, things like that. Um, Anytime that you hire an agency, either located in the US or offshore, they're probably outsourcing some of the tasks. And and my agency included some of those tasks execution wise, I outsource to freelancers that I have found on these different platforms. And while I think it's it, it's it's a great tool to use, it's a great tool to take advantage of, especially with some of these platforms, it does create a situation where you have to know what you're looking for and you have to know specifically what you want from these these providers, from these freelancers that you are hiring. And that's the experience that I have had with uh, hiring off of Upwork and off of Fiverr. I know what to look for versus other companies who might not know what to look for. And so with LinkedIn launching this marketplaces, it is allowing that greater visibility on, on people you're hiring, on the work that they do, on the job specifications, that you're posting about and that the type of freelancer that you want to hire. And if it goes well, then great. Then it adds to that person's LinkedIn profile. It adds to their resume. And if it doesn't, then you can kind of see full picture of some different freelancers that you should be hiring and some freelancers that you should probably stay away from. Is there a way to gamify this system? I'm sure there is. But on on Fiverr and Upwork, there is a big problem with freelancers who will have several different accounts on, on Upwork. And if they get a bad review on one account, then they just go and put their efforts into another account. And so it creates that a, a, an added, it, it prevents an added layer of transparency, whereas LinkedIn marketplaces might provide that additional clarity, especially if it's tied to a profile that you've known for years and that you have, you know, maybe you've thought about working with me, for example, and you've seen my postings on LinkedIn. Now, if marketplaces is added and I'm able to join that platform, then I'll be able to show my portfolio of work to a massive audience that 
that I'm already uh, that I'm already engaging with on a daily basis. So to me, I think this move is a huge win for both the freelancers and the businesses and also for LinkedIn as well, because this is going to be a big time move where I think it's going to really hurt companies like Upwork and companies like Fiverr, where there is a little bit of a and unless you are highly ranked on those two platforms, Fiverr and Upwork, it is a little difficult to find somebody that is worth the time investment. With Fiverr and Upwork, you have to be very specific about the job that you are hiring for and that you need a contractor for. And a lot of times for a lot of companies, the reason that you're hiring someone on Fiverr and Upwork is that you don't know all of the intricacies. You don't know all of the details. And so you have to trust that this person is going to know those things that you don't know. And so that's where a little bit of the difficulty comes in anytime you outsource any project like that. If you don't hire somebody that knows what they're doing, or if you don't hire, you know, say a company like mine, where I know what to look for. If you're hiring me to handle your social media, I'm going to help you with your overall strategy. I'm going to help you with your overall messaging, but the actual execution of that strategy and of, of you know, say different posts that we're going to be creating, I'm not going to be the one that's actually scheduling them because that takes a lot of time. I am going to hire someone that's going to handle the execution of it, and I'm going to tell them what to look out for, what to post. This is the strategy behind it, and this is what I want to see. And I'm doing that as a liaison between your company and the actual freelancer that's handling that project. And so that's the difference between hiring a company like mine and you going direct to somebody like a Fiverr or an Upwork is that you kind of got to learn exactly what you want because these freelancers are, some of them have very specific tasks and they are not going to deviate from that specific task. And it's usually the tasks that you give them, otherwise they're not going to get paid. So for example, I got a logo created on Fiverr. I just needed something quick and the the person did a great job. I loved the logo. And then I sent it back to them and I said, hey, well, can you make some social media graphics? I, you know, I just need a, a couple banners in order to go along with this logo rebrand. And the person wrote back to me and said, no, I don't do that. I only make logos. And so that's where you're kind of going to run into a couple of different, uh, a couple of different situations where in, in my case, I was willing to pay to have, of course, I was willing to pay to have those additional graphics created, but that person didn't even want to entertain it. They just wanted to focus on the logos and move on to the next and move on to the next job. They didn't want to have that uh, that situation where they're developing a relationship with you. They want to know your concerns, and if a project goes well, then they want to take on additional work. That's not necessarily how some of these other sites operate. Maybe LinkedIn marketplaces are going to be a little bit different because you're going to hopefully have a personal relationship with that person or a social media type relationship with that person before you actually approach them about a certain job that you have in mind. So I think overall, LinkedIn marketplaces is going to be a great thing to look forward to. And if you're currently in the mood to start, you know, outsourcing some of your marketing or outsourcing some, you know, video or graphic needs and things like that, that that you really want to make sure that you either A, research it a ton so you know exactly what you're looking for and you know exactly what to assign the freelancer, or you hire a company like mine who knows the intricacies of different projects that you have in mind. So you kind of know, or we know what to look out for and, and what to avoid in the future. So finally, 
Uh, I want to share a story of a new podcast that I have been digging on Spotify that that's definitely worth listening to. And it's called Welcome to Your Fantasy. And it's the startup story behind the Chippendales. Yes, that Chippendales. The success of Chippendales was originally started in LA. It also moved to New York. Then it became a traveling show. And this right now is, I believe it's a four part. I'm currently on episode four and it's a podcast by Gimlet. It's a Spotify exclusive and it talks about all of these different, uh, I guess, issues that they've run into with starting up Chippendales. And the, the marketing angle that I wanted to bring to this is that I, Never underestimate the power of marketing, especially some of the marketing that has been done on the Chippendale side, because when they were first starting up, they started up in LA, then they expanded into New York, and then they started doing a traveling show. And when they had the traveling show, they all of the dancers would get on a bus and or fly to different cities. I think they were using a bus back then because they hadn't you know started earning that much income yet. They, they high earners, but they didn't earn that much income to fly everywhere yet. And this is still in like the early 80s, late 70s. And so what they would do in order to create demand is that they would arrive into a different city. Then some of the dancers would then call in to churches and complain that they were going to have these mail review, these dancers, they were going to be getting naked, and they were going to be doing it in our city. And the church ladies would get furious and they would get so scared. And so then what they would do is they would call the news stations and complain that this, how are we having this filth come into town? And how can we do this in this church city? And what would happen is the news agencies would start to run stories on it. And so what does that do? That drums up PR, that drums up good marketing. And they started creating lines around the building everywhere the Chippendales dancers would come into town. So I just thought that that was a brilliant marketing move by the original people who started running Chippendales. And so that I, I thought that it's been a fascinating podcast to listen to. So if you're looking for something to listen to, uh, sort of a new series, that, that one is definitely worth diving into. I believe it's four or five episodes long. I'm on one of the last episodes and I, I couldn't find anywhere of how long the series actually is. I can't imagine that it's going to go on for for too much longer. There's only so much that you can talk about with Chippendales, I imagine. Um, But this is the story of sort of the origin around it. But I thought that that was such a brilliant marketing angle. So anytime you're thinking of, you know, if you're watching a news story and you're saying, well, why is someone filming this? Or why is this news? And just think that there could be some, you know, ulterior motives to why that is a story to begin with. Either somebody paid for it, or if it's, you know, somebody just sort of trying to to drum up some some PR for their male review dancers that are coming to town. All right. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Once again, my name is Blythe Brumley. This is the Digital Dispatch Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe, share with all your friends. And if you want to find out more about this podcast or just more in general about Digital Dispatch, head on over to the website at digitaldispatch.io. You can find links to all of our services there that we provide and also the social media profiles that we actively publish too. When I say we, I usually mean just me, myself, and I that run this operation. So, all your support means the world to me and I'm 
you know, just, just happy to still be providing this level of content to you all. And also one more quick thing. If you have any kind of marketing challenge or website challenge that you're currently dealing with, we do have that new AMA section open that's on the podcast page. You can just go to Google and you can just search digital dispatch podcast. And that should be the first result that pops up. And on that page, you'll find a form that you can submit your marketing question, your marketing challenge, and I will do my best to answer it on a future show. You can also check out past shows that are all labeled there with a little bit more insight, um, especially with those show notes. Those are always super valuable and you guys seem to like those a lot and you find some, some interest in those. Just be sure to check those out. They're all located on the Digital Dispatch podcast page. Also on YouTube, TikTok, all that good stuff. That's all linked right on the digitaldispatch.io website. But until then, I am actually getting ready to head out of town. I'm going to take a few days off. I'm going to go hang out with my best friend down at Disney World and just sort of unplug. So then that way I can come back and, you know, bring you guys some more content to help you out in your marketing and sales and website challenges. But until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleaf and I will see you real soon.